With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void or prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. from the Cannon, an expedition blog covering the Columbus Blue Jackets. I am William Chase, joined tonight by Pale Dragon. What's up, PD? Hey, Will. Uh, glad to be back. It's good to have you back. How was your Monday? Was it a good Monday for you? It was a Monday. <laughs> Let's leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. It was pretty chill on this end, but uh, one day down, four days to go, and we will get right into it. So it felt like this might have been kind of a quiet period for the Blue Jackets, but they gave us a topic today. They signed defenseman Andrew Peak to a two-year, one-way extension, $787,500 AAV. Now we get to figure out what the defensive pairings might look like. So I've been thinking about this too. Do you go, you know, Wierenski, Boquist, you still got, you have Jake Bean, Vladislav Gavrikov, Gabriel Carlson, Sky Harrington, Dean Kukin, Andrew Peake, a plethora of defensemen. PD, how do you determine what that top pairing, those pairings, what they might look like? Yeah, there's there's a lot of options here. Um, and Miko Lettinen is also in the mix. They re-signed him as well, um, who, you know, he only has one year of NHL experience under his belt, but he's a veteran pro from all of his years in the KHL. So yeah, it's uh bit of a logjam there on defense and there's a lot of options for the coaches there for how they sort that out um i was glad to see that they got peak signed uh this was kind of the one lingering piece of off-season business uh and i figured oh well, that might not happen till closer to the start of camp you know i, I didn't have any worries that it was going to get done um he was an exclusive rights rfa which means that you know, he couldn't sign an offer sheet with some other team like it was the Jackets or, or no one else. And I, so I knew it would get done. Um, I just wasn't sure when it would get done. And I'm glad that it got done. So they Yarrow can, can go on vacation for the rest of August and it doesn't matter. So so that's great. 
you know, you have Wierenski and Gavrikov are, they're the incumbents. They are the stone cold locks for being in the lineup, right? Those guys are, they are well established. Boquist and Bean, considering, you know, what we gave up to get them, you know, there's a chance that, that, Either one can maybe get sent down to start. I just think that the the talent and the upside there is too high that I think they have to be in the mix. Both were regular NHL players last season, so I don't see any reason to deviate from that. Um, so, so you have those four in the mix. And then out of the rest, I think, again, with Lettinen being the veteran professional, that you know he's probably got an inside track on it. You know, I would have thought this year would have been a great opportunity for Dean Kukin to finally get some regular playing time, which he's not really had here. Um, you know, when he's played, he's generally had some pretty good stretches. But now, again, with the crowded locker room, I just don't know where the spot is. I think he is in the mix. Um, and then Andrew Peak, uh, you know, I have seen enough from him to believe that he is a he's an NHL player. You know, um, and I. You know, maybe he could benefit from more development in Cleveland as a top pair guy, but I think he's good enough to to play every day in Columbus. So, honestly, I would go ahead and put Peak with with Wierenski. not because I think Peak screams to be as he's a top pair guy. Just I feel like that's a good matchup. It's he's a right handed shot to go on the right side. I think Peak can cover Wolrensky defensively like Jones did. Um, maybe not to the extent that Jones did, but even Jones was not as great defensively last year. Um, but, you know, I, I like the idea of having a offensive defenseman with a defenseman who can stay back a little bit. But Peak still, I think he can skate well. I think he's still good with the puck. He can get the puck out of the zone. Um, you know, reminds me of Ryan Murray in some ways in that regard. So I would have those two pair together. Gavrikov would be another one of those stay-at-home shutdown guys. So I would put Boquist with him because, again, Boquist, right-handed shot, Gavrikov, left-handed shot. So I, I think some people maybe get a little too focused on having left and right on the same pair. But I do think it's nice to have left and right in on the pair. And Boquist is another one of these offensive defensemen. So I think having a guy like Gavrikov who is so responsible and has a few years on him, could be a nice compliment. And then third pair, you know, I would maybe even consider going with a some kind of rotation yeah, of just thinking that. Bean, Bean, Kukin, and Lettinen. Just mix and match, at least for the first couple months of the season until something jumps out at you as as working. And then, you know, and you know, there's gonna be injuries, there's gonna be chances for guys to come up, but I would um, you know, I think at this point, go ahead and even though it requires putting them on waivers. Like send down Harrington and Carlson. I honestly, given that they're each on one year, one way deals, I don't think either one would get claimed on waivers. And if they do, you know, I don't, I don't think there's any big loss that we're not missing out. On. You know, Scott Harrington. We know what Scott Harrington is at this point, um, and I don't think he fits in as he's not in the top six of that list. I'm not sure he's in the top eight of that list, honestly. Uh, Carlson. You know, still relatively young as things go, and even as defensemen go, but and you know hasn't gotten a lot of regular action in the NHL level. But what I've seen from him does not strike me as anything special. 
And again, there's guys on the team that I feel like have more upside at this point than him. You know, and then you've got a guy like um, Gavin Bayreuther, oh, who yeah. is That's still right. on a two-way two eight deal this year. It switches to one-way next year. I, I don't he's, – he's getting up there. Yeah. He's, like, I think 27. Uh, I – Again, I don't see a lot of great things there from him, but again, I I think he's more reliable than Scott Harrington. <laughs> I can see him as being maybe an Adam Clendenning type, um, which is which is fine. You know, that that's a useful player to have around. But I feel those three guys, you know, you, you send down, they help out the monsters and stick with those other seven as, as as the crew to start the year. But again, thankfully this year, unlike what we had last year, we've got a full training camp. We've got four or eight preseason games, whatever, you know, kind of the normal right, right. preseason training camp uh, four is four home games. Yeah. Uh, so I think that will, um, you know, hopefully we'll learn something from those games as far as, as we'll make, I mean, cause remember, uh, 2016, uh, Marcus new was in camp and no one knew who Marcus new was and he ended up making the team. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there, there could, there could be a surprise, but, but that's how I see things shaking out at this point. Yeah, there's so many defensemen that I forgot about, like Gavin Beirut there also, who didn't go to Seattle, which I remembered that, <laughs> but I was like, oh, right, another guy to add to that list. So, right. yeah, like you said, I think, though, that um, it's good to have a number of guys because I do feel like injuries, as always, plays a part. So yeah. hopefully not, but uh, it's good to have, I guess, what you can what you can consider depth. But, yeah, I was going to ask you about Sky Harrington. I know that's not exactly your guy. And so, like you said, we kind of know what he is. And also, shout out Carlson for Josh. But, um, yeah, we'll find out uh, soon because training camp is definitely going to be here very soon. I feel like the NHL – I was thinking about this the, uh, like yesterday. I feel like the NHL might have the shortest offseason. And then it compacted this year with the Stanley Cup being in July and free agency and expansion draft. And it's just like, here we go. The training camp's going to be here before you know it in the preseason games. Yeah, well, and this has been an interesting sort of offseason because, well, it was a little shorter this year because this regular season went all the way into early May. Usually it's early April that it ends. And so the the draft and free agency were pushed back a month from when they usually are, but we do still have, uh, you know, the August doldrums, you know, where there's just not much happening in August, which is kind of okay. Like I kind of like having this month to catch our breath, especially after, you know, that period in, in July, that was such a whirlwind for this franchise with so many moves, so many changes. Uh, August gives us a little bit of time to, you know, for one thing, I can kind of turn my brain off from hockey for a little bit and, you know, watch the Olympics and watch baseball and that sort of thing. And it also gives us time to just kind of reevaluate uh, who the Blue Jackets are and do you know, have discussions like this where we figure out, all right, all right, who do we have now? And, you know, what is this team going to look like? What are the pairs going to look like? And, and which is which is fun. It's fun to speculate about that sort of thing. Yeah. And now that the peak deal is done, the Blue Jackets are probably done with their offseason. They have over just over 10 million left in cap space. Do you foresee any? I don't know. I don't expect anything major to happen, but is there any guy out there or do you think they'll be able to utilize that in some other way? Or do you think that's what they're going into the season with? I, that there's, there's always talk about that, that a team in a situation like them where they have the cap space that they could take on a, you know, a bad contract in exchange for collecting some extra draft picks. I think that would be a smart thing for them to do. Because, yeah, they can add more picks to next year's draft, which is supposed to be a pretty deep draft. 
um, you know, that could help the future of this team significantly as, as it did having, you know, nine picks in this year's draft. They added a lot of talent and a lot of really promising players. Um, so if they could do that, I mean, like a few years back, you know, Carolina got a first round pick from Toronto for taking on Patrick Marlowe and Carolina waved Marlowe immediately, you know? So, but they, you know, then they could take the, uh, the cap hit from that. And, and that, so I would love to do something like that. Even if you didn't want to give up the roster spot. Yeah. If you want to just then take the guy, wave the guy, whatever, you know, go for it. I don't expect it to happen because Yarmo has teased before that he was going to make a trade like this. Like, Oh, there's teams that are in trouble. We can take advantage of that. And so far he's never, he has not done a move like that. So uh, I'm not optimistic that something like that will happen. Uh, even though I think it would be a wise decision. Last week on the Cannon Seeds wrote an article about the Blue Jackets as they move forward. And so basically he was talking about how this might be Yarmo's last attempt at building a Stanley Cup contender, which makes sense. Uh, you know, he talks about the new kids, the new wave of kids really coming up the ranks like Igor Chinnikov, just one of many, and just trying to fix this from the center position on out, which we've been crying for a center for forever. <laughs> so right. we, you know, so anyway, yeah, Ken Johnson is one of the guys that they got in the draft that figures to you know, potentially be in those plants in the center position for the Blue Jackets in the in the future. So, um, yeah, I thought it was interesting. I think, I, I mean, I agree right off the bat because I do feel like this is Yarmo's, you know, his chance to really finally, hopefully rebuild this team the right way. And I think so far, so good in terms of just the offseason. Now, obviously, a lot has to happen and pan out. But I like the direction. I feel excited as a fan. Even if the team isn't good on the ice this season, I actually am really hopeful uh, you know, beyond this season based on what we've seen. So I feel really good so far from what Yarmo's been able to do. And, you know, that wasn't a tall task or that was not an easy task for him just after the coach hire, for instance, or going into right. that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and I, I I don't expect this to be a good team this season, but I think that they there's enough talent in there that it will be a interesting team to watch and I think it could be an entertaining team to watch. And once again, it's going to be a very young team. And um, a season like this, if you go into it with the right expectations and the right perspective, it can still be enjoyable. If you see individual players develop over the course of the season and develop into their roles and give you some idea of, you know, which pieces are building blocks for the future and which ones aren't, you know, it's a season to figure that sort of thing out. And that, that's very exciting. I'm, you know, as a Cleveland baseball fan, that's how I approached this season. And, you know, they ended up, they, they were hanging around in the standings for longer, honestly, than I thought they would. And there's players who have, um, you know, broken out and, and had good seasons. And that's been exciting to watch, you know. And, and so there's hope for the future of like, okay, there's pieces to build around. And I think that's what we're seeing in, in Columbus is that, you know, there's a lot of pieces to build around. So we're currently running the, top 25 players under 25 in the organization. We've you know done this a lot, number of times in the past and, you know, without giving too much away for the ranking, cause it just started this week. So you'll have to, you know, tune into the site to, uh, to see the countdown over the next month here. But there was in the, in the 25, there was 12 players in that ranking that were not in the organization two years ago, the last time we did this exercise. So I think that's a pretty, uh, pretty stark picture of how much the organization has changed and how different the future looks than it did two years ago. But yeah, it's, it's exciting. I'm guilty as much of, as anyone of 
thinking too much about what happened. Oh, what happens if all of these players work out and how do we fit them in? And, and like, that's not going to happen, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, certainly, you know, you look at back at our first round picks in 2013 when we had three of them and yeah, okay. That didn't really work out as planned. So we have to maybe keep that in mind that not everything's going to work out, but given the sheer number of young talent that we've added, that increases the chances that we get a number of legitimate NHL players and maybe even some elite players out of it. Plus, we've got the picks that we've got coming next year and perhaps additional picks that could be gathered along along the way. So, yeah, it's, it's very exciting. Yeah, talking about a Cleveland team in, in the Indians that, that you were just mentioning, <laughs> I also was thinking about another Cleveland team in the Browns. <laughs> you know, they're coming in with a lot of hype and buzz, and a lot of people are talking highly of them, obviously, after last year's run in the playoffs. Uh, so if the Browns can fix it and maybe do big things, the Blue Jackets certainly can, right? Yeah, you're right. And I think there's a, a good parallel there in terms of, you know, they recognized what needed to change, and they... And they built up the team the right way. They they identified the key positions of need, and you know they got their elite pass rusher in Miles Garrett. They got their quarterback in Baker Mayfield. You know, and they built the team around those guys, and they give them the supporting pieces they need. And and this Jackets team now they you know with the signing of Wierenski, you know this is your that's your number one defenseman that you're building around on the back end. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, I thought Seeds made a great point that. You know, there seemed to be a big focus this year on centers, acquiring young centers. And like either Johnson or Sillinger could have one C potential. And I think they're they're different kinds of players, but both project as centers. And obviously if both work out, then you know, that could be our version of, you know, Crosby and Malkin. Um, not that I think either is going to be at those guys' levels. I mean, those are both MVP caliber players, but Hall of Famers. You know, that's obviously that's that's the best case scenario we're looking for of having. Okay, this is your one one two punch at center. You know, but I like that we're sort of hedging our bets there. Like, okay, let's yeah, let's take a couple centers in the first round of this draft and see where it goes. And maybe one of them plays wing, and that could still be an asset. You know, and there's still Jack Roslevic who's just 24 years old and he could be, he could be a top six center for this rebuild. And I, I think in general, over the last couple of years, we've seen with the way that Yarmo was drafted that I think he no longer views this as a defense first team. You know, when he came in, they had Bobrovsky. And so the team was built from the back end. And when you have a goalie like Bobrovsky, that makes sense. But now I think uh, with the way that the league is going, uh, it makes more sense to have as many offensive talents as possible because, you know, hey, in the end, you do have to score goals to win games. <laughs> and you could have the best goal in the world, but if you can't score, then it doesn't, you know, that kind of limits what you can do. So he's added a lot more players with high offensive upside. And, you know, I don't know. We'll see if this coaching staff can can make the most of that. I hope that they can. You know, we've talked before about Pascal Vincent, who's been hired to be the assistant coaching the forwards, and um, I like some of the things he said. He seems pretty forward thinking and open minded as far as analytics, and I'm you know I'm curious to see what he can do with these young forwards uh, in his hands. But uh, I do like that the focus now is on offense, and even with Wierenski, 
and Boquist as you know two of these top young defensemen going forward, these are both defensemen with a lot of offensive skill, which I think seems to further add to the idea of this is a team that's going to focus on getting the puck up ice, creating offensive chances. And I think it may have been something Yarmo said that, you know, one way you can play defense is to, you know, possess the puck. <laughs> if, the, if the other team doesn't have the puck, they can't score. So, and so that'll be a refreshing change of pace from what the Blue Jackets style was for the previous eight or so years. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. I wonder how much of this offseason is, at least in part, obviously influenced by John Davidson. Obviously, the two collaborate, but I don't know if this would have happened or not, but I, it sounded like Yarma was at least open to the idea of keeping Seth Jones, like, you know, Panarin 2.0. Uh, maybe he would have made the trade anyway, or maybe that was all him anyway, but... You know, it makes me wonder, but I'm glad that Davison's back. And even if it is Yarmo that's making all these moves, I know that the two are, you know, talk, obviously. But uh, I do wonder just how much of this might also be JD in terms of some of the things they've pulled off. Sure. I, I you know, certainly Aaron Portsline has suggested in his reporting that JD coming in maybe pushed things more in the direction of, hey, let's go ahead and rebuild. Obviously, I think Seth Jones's decision to not extend made that a that made a certainty that okay well we're definitely rebuilding now you know you do wonder if jones wanted to stay in that case would they be able to keep Wierenski as well would they be would they be bringing felino back in that case would they be trying to make another run with the group that they had before um and then you know you, you have to wonder would that would they be able to be successful bringing that group back and going at it again and, you know, I could have talked myself into that. I probably would have talked myself into that. But I, as I step back and look at it again, I feel like this gives us a little bit, this gives us more flexibility long term to, to compete and build the right way. It was interesting also in C's article where he talked about how that the Jackets haven't done a full on rebuild like this in a while. And it got me thinking about, the last rebuild, which was in 
you know, 2012, 2013, that, that time frame. And obviously that rebuild saw a regime change as well. And so Hausen started the rebuild, but then JD came in after Hausen made a lot of moves and then fired Hausen, brought in Yarmo. Then that 2013 team ended up being more competitive than people expected which led to them making the Marion Gabrick trade, then making the Nathan Horton signing. And of course they got the playoffs in 2014 and they had then a competitive core, but they were really never able to make the moves at that point that would allow them to build up the pipeline as much as they needed to, especially then with the attrition that they ended up running into in recent years with Bob leaving, Panarin leaving, you know, sure, surely, you know, they had a, a bad year and were able to get draft Dubois, but then they couldn't keep Dubois. And, and so I think all of that then ended up putting a limit on how comp- the ceiling for that team and as well as a limit on how well they could sustain being competitive. Um, although, I mean, they had that, you know, four straight years in the playoffs. That was great. That was fun. But I think we saw that, yeah, okay, that was. That was what that core was capable of. It was good. Not good enough, though. But, you know, how, what was it going to take to add the pieces to that core to take them deeper? Yeah. You know, they had to, we had to sell it a lot to get Matt Duchesne as a rental just to get that group to the second round. So, you know, and I think it goes back to Housen starting the rebuild with, you know, there was the Jeff Carter fiasco. And then that led to the Rick Nash trade request. And from the Nash trade, they got two established NHL players in Brandon Dubinsky and Arvin Isimov, both on the young side, but established. And those guys played key roles in that team being successful right away. There was a prospect, Tim Erickson, and there was a first-round draft pick, which became Kirby Reichel, if I recall correctly. He, or he may have been the King's pick and it was Marco Dano. But either way, the pick didn't become a worthwhile player or a star player that you would hope for. The, the prospect, Tim Erickson, didn't turn out to be anything. So there was nothing great for the future that came from that trade. And, you know, Hausen traded for Sergei Bobrovsky, who made the team very, very competitive. You know, the big part of that team's success was having a top goaltender on it but you know if you want to rebuild and have a few years of high draft picks one of the best ways to ensure that is to not have a good goalie (laughs) because having a good goalie can steal you a lot of games and uh, cost you some draft position so that's you know i think all those things it, it made the team better in the short run which from scott house's perspective was probably a good thing because he wanted to keep his job he ended up losing his job anyway, and then I think JD probably saw himself taking over a rebuild, but then things got better quicker than he expected, and they kind of had to let they had to ride with it while they could because they weren't going to pump the brakes on the team being surprisingly good after the team had been bad for so years. The fans were finally excited, so of course ownership is going to want to keep that going. So I totally understand that, but now this is maybe more of the kind of rebuild that Davidson wanted to oversee. Um, You know, looks more like how things were built in St. Louis and the way that we have kind of turned things around quickly and have optimism quickly also reminds me of 
what the Rangers have done. You know, we've, we've talked before about how the Rangers recognized a few years back that they had reached the end of the road with their group and they kind of were honest to the fans like, hey, we're going to start rebuilding things here just to give a heads up. You know, we're going to have to make some moves. It's going to hurt now, but, you know, we think it's necessary to, to compete long term. And I think most people would agree that the Rangers are going in the right direction, you know, and they obviously got draft lottery luck two years in a row, got the number two pick, got Capococco. They got the number one pick and got Lafreniere. They got Artemi Panarin in free agency, but they've got a good core of young players around there. You know, they've got some good goalies. They've got um, Adam Fox on defense, but, and they also, they kept a few key players. You know, they identified like um, Zabanajad and Kreider as guys that they would hold on to as part of the rebuild and that those guys would be part of the next successful team. Um, and I think you can point to the Jackets doing that with Wierenski and Bjorkstrand, for example. But other pieces that were not going to be part of the next core, we've successfully moved and used them as part of, used them to restock our talent of young players. So, so we've got, you know, we moved Felino for a pick that became Corson uh, Kulamans. And we moved Savard for a first that along with the Jones trade, we upgraded to get Sillinger. And we traded Jones and we got Boquist and Bean and the Sillinger pick and a first round pick next year. So all of those moves, you know, got rid of the old core and have given us them the pieces to build the new core. And because we've got some players like Boquist, who is already in the NHL, but is young, I think that accelerate. We don't have to wait four years for players to become great, or you know, for these young players to join the team. We're just one or two years away from these players really hitting their peak, which I, which is great. Because yeah, as a fan, I don't want having to be super patient for it. You know, I want instant gratification or whatever. So you know, it, it's funny too because John Davidson, he's been with the Blue Jackets. He's well, he started there in what 2013 or going into that 2013 season, I believe. So correct. Except yeah. for a couple of years, he's almost been with the team for the entire second decade of the uh, the yeah. franchise and yeah it's he's had his handprints on this team for quite a while and so I'm happy to see how hopefully like you said this full rebuild basically takes shape here and you know that kind of segues into our our last topic so Dale wrote about the Blue Jackets as well predicting kind of the 2023-24 Blue Jackets roster so looking ahead uh we've seen obviously we mentioned it the the roster turnover the last few weeks and we know there's going to be more obviously into the future but we're starting to see at least some guys like Zach Wierenski, a part of that core and moving forward. So, you know, lots of interesting prospects. You mentioned Cole Sillinger, who will, amongst other players, will try to become a roster fixture within the next couple of seasons. So, you know, I think, I, I said it before, um, I'm excited. I think there's a lot of excitement into what could end up, you know, blossoming into something. We just got to see that happen. We just got to see these guys, because you said it before, too three first round draft picks in the 2013 draft and that didn't exactly shape up like you would have hoped. So I'm hoping obviously, you know, there are going to be misses in any draft for any team. We know that you just hope that finally the jackets have something. And right now it's exciting. The, they got yeah. high marks for their draft and that's obviously very encouraging right off the bat. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, when you think about it, yeah, you're not going to get 
every player hitting, but we're looking at this top 25 under 25. And obviously there aren't 25 spots on the roster. And there's the players that are over 25, like Wierenski and Bergstrand, who are still going to be part of that team. So that's okay. Like that's it. We don't need all of them to hit. If we get super lucky with that, then you can trade some and, and go from there. But it's nice to have the options. It's nice to think about how that roster can play out. Then we know that there's going to be other signings or other trades that that supplement that. Um, but it's I've thought about this about how much the future has changed. And in the spring, there was a lot of uncertainty. If you looked at like the cap friendly page, there were so few players that were under contract beyond a year <laughs> with the jackets. Yeah, it was like Bjorkstrand, Atkinson, Nyquist. Like, and that was it that were signed in like uh in Gavrikov. Like, and that was it. Now there are other players that are under team control, but in terms of actually under contract, so it's like, wow, you know, there's a lot of ways that this team can change. And I think a lot of us assumed, like, maybe for the worst, like everyone else, they're not under contract, they could somehow walk or force their way out or whatever, you know. But with the you know, and free agency there with the flurry of signings, you know, Corrali getting a four-year deal, Jenner getting a four-year extension. So that puts him under contract for five more seasons. Then the Wierenski deal, um, there was extensions for Eric Robinson. And all of a sudden, now you look at the cap friendly page and there's a lot more players that are under contract in, you know, two years from now, three years from now, as well as some of these new draft picks who you can assume will also be on the team at that point, you know, Sillinger, you know, it might only be a one more year in juniors for him. Johnson, maybe just one more year in college, maybe at most two more years in college, and then he'll be on the team. And so I feel like I, I take comfort in that because that gives us a little more clarity as to what options we have in that future season. Um, and I know people, some people, I saw on social media when the article got posted, like, oh, it's too early, too early to talk about this thing. So many things. And like, yes, we know that. Okay. We know this isn't exactly what the roster is going to look like. You know, we know there's things that we can't predict, but I still think it's a fun exercise and a worthwhile exercise to just highlight what pieces we do have that we might be able to play with at that time when building the roster. If, if things go as planned or the best case scenario of the plan. Wouldn't it be something if it was actually the best case scenario for this team? <laughs> I mean, they're due for something at this point. Yeah, you know, and, and, and the optimist side of me, keep, it does keep drifting that like, oh man, wouldn't that be something if, you know, Johnson and Cylinder both become really good players? Like, oh man, that's that's nice to have. You know, if you, you look at a team like Tampa that's really, really deep with, with high-level talent, like, oh yeah, like they've got you know, two centers that could be number one centers on any team, you know, and it'd be fantastic to have something like that. Or, you know, to have a group that could come up together, um, you know, and when there's this problem still, you know, how do we get players to stay here? And, you know, thankfully, Wierenski has kind of calmed that narrative down a little bit. But still, we want, if these young, if these draftees pan out, we do want to keep them around for a while. How can, how can we do that? And, I hopefully there's some kind of draw for them if they come up together that they will want to stay together. And maybe you get a situation like in Boston 
where they've got that amazing top line that are all on team-friendly deals because they like playing together and they are at their best playing together and it's worth it to them to take a little bit less because of the success that they've had. Um, and I, I saw that last week their Team Canada had a showcase event for players that might be on the World Junior roster in the winter. And so all three of our first-round picks are in the Team Canada system and we're all part of that. And I saw where one of the players said that they had had a discussion of those three, uh, Johnson, Sillinger, Kulamans, about, oh, hey, isn't it cool that you know we're all in the Columbus system now? We could all end up being on the team together, and here we're playing on Team Canada together right now. So I think they're already getting excited for his players, and they're already starting to form bonds with their future teammates. Uh, and that's pretty cool. And I, I noticed in one of those games... Colt Sillinger scored four goals, which was really cool. And Johnson and Kulamans were on the other team, which won the game in part due to a Kulamans goal where Johnson had the primary assist. And so, again, you can't help but get excited as a Jackets fan to see, like, those two could connect on goals at the NHL level just a few years from now. And that's that's pretty exciting. That is definitely encouraging to see. I did see. I remember. I remember those tweets now. Uh, that was really cool to see. And it's like maybe that's our future. Be sure to check us out at jacketscanon.com at CBJ Cannon on Twitter and Facebook. We have our top twenty-five under twenty-five articles coming out. You just did one today. The name. I want to say the name, but the name's <laughs> it's not my strong suit. How do you say this name? Guillaume Richard. Guillaume Richard. Okay, it looks sort of what I was thinking, but I didn't want to attempt it. So, uh, yeah, check that out, and we will see you all next week. Subscribe to the Canon Cast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you can catch every episode. Leave us a review and a rating, and as always, we welcome your thoughts and feedback. Go to jacketscanon.com for more Blue Jackets coverage from us. Follow us on Twitter at CBJCanon. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Perley and the Howlin' Moons. Check out AngelaPerley.com for more music and show dates. Oh,